Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. In light of the recent 2020 Nobel Prize winners, we are doing an episode on CRISPR, the future of genetic engineering. Um, The specific Nobel Prize I'm talking about is the 2020 Nobel Prize in Chemistry awarded to Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier. And these two incredible women have created the the main method we use for genetic engineering today. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the influence of this, the future of this technology, and how it could possibly change the world and has already started to change the world. Only 57 women have won the Nobel Prize out of 950 total winners. So this was... Uh, really an incredible winning by these two female researchers. Um, CRISPR's also been in the news recently with, in more of a negative light, um, a Chinese scientist secretly used CRISPR for the first time in humans just a few years ago to make twins who were immune to HIV. So this scientist manipulated the embryos Um, of these twins and change their DNA. And this is the first time supposedly in history that humans have been genetically modified. So this was roundly condemned by many scientists and ethicists in China and around the world. Um, But (laughs) this case, if, if it does anything, is that it kind of indicates where we're going with genetic engineering and where the future is heading. What is CRISPR? How did CRISPR develop? How did we discover it? Let's talk about that now. So in the early 1990s, bacteria were found to have genetic code repeats in a series of clusters in their DNA. Researchers called these code repeats clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. So that's where we get the acronym CRISPR. Um, With these code repeats, researchers noticed that um, with it, within these code clusters, um, they they matched the DNA code of certain viruses as well. And researchers really just made an educated guess that these bacteria were using these code clusters as an immune system against viruses. So what was really happening, they found, was that bacteria use scissors to cut viruses that are attacking them. So what CRISPR has taken advantage of is we've taken these scissors from the bacteria and have used them to snip genetic code and insert new code uh, wherever we want. So in 2010, Sylvan Moeno and his colleagues showed how CRISPR was able to snip DNA at predictable and precise locations. And why... um, Chapontier and Doudna received the Nobel Prize was because they adapted CRISPR into something called the CRISPR-Cas9 system. And this is now what we have is a precise tool that can be harnessed to cut any strand of DNA at specific places. So bacteria used their CRISPR system to cut DNA, or excuse me, cut uh, viral DNA. And we've taken this technology, these scissors, and made it something that can now snip any DNA at any location we want. So as long as we have the genetic code for something, we can um, go in at at different segments and snip and insert new genes. And this is what really genetic engineering is at its core. 
So the Cas9, what is that in the CRISPR-Cas9 system? This is just associated with uh, gene number nine on the CRISPR kind of cluster. But for our purposes, we're just going to continue to refer to the technology as CRISPR. Um, what what Chapontier, Chapontier and Doudna recreated was the scissors, as I mentioned. So they really simplified the uh, molecular components of the bacteria's scissors, and they just really made them easier to use in practical applications. The way Charpentier and Doudna edited CRISPR's molecular components was important because naturally when the bacteria scissors recognize DNA from viruses, um, they that's all they're able to uh, snip. They're only able to snip the DNA of viruses. Charpentier and Duna proved that they could control these scissors so that they were able to cut any DNA molecule at any predetermined site. And they really changed the world with these advances. So this is why they won the Nobel Prize. Um, even though they discovered this back about nine, eight, nine years ago now, they're only just getting the Nobel Prize now. And this is really the nature of groundbreaking scientific discovery. As we did discussed in the Structure of Scientific Revolutions episode, it does take a few years for these great advances to kind of be tested enough so that we know it is a great advance. And initially, there's a little bit of um, people are going to be skeptical of the CRISPR-Cas9 system. They're going to, uh, some might be very excited, but we have to still do studies to prove how influential it really was. So only eight years later, are they finally receiving the Nobel Prize for this? Um, and there was a bit of a time lag, but um, they really did deserve this. And we're going to talk about why they deserved it so much, because it really is going to change the world, it seems. Kind of at a shallow level, we have CRISPR being studied in food and genetically editing food and these genetically modified organisms that people do seem to demonize today, but in reality, it's not, they're really not that bad. And they actually can be used to make improvements on food if you use them correctly. It was early on in the CRISPR experiments when CRISPR started to be tested on food. A plant pathologist at Pennsylvania State University used CRISPR to create the gene edited Arctic apple that can be sliced and left out in the open without ever browning, which is quite interesting. What CRISPR has done there is it has silenced the gene that makes the browning enzyme in apples. So silencing a gene is like is like shutting off a gene. So th this gene creates uh, an enzyme that makes the apple brown, but if you silence that gene, the apple will not become brown. So kind of simple things like this were the initial experiments. Virus-resistant rainbow papaya has been gene edited to avoid the devastating papaya ring spot virus. This papaya is already in supermarkets. So here we've modified an organism to be resistant to viruses, kind of similar to how bacteria use CRISPR in the first place. Also in the supermarkets, there are gene edited bruise resistant potatoes, just kind of as more of an aesthetic thing. Um, but still quite interesting all the same. And again, these are just the early kind of experiments that were done in food. Pineapples have been modified to contain more antioxidants. A previously undesirable type of corn has been edited to make perfect cornstarch. Wheat has been edited to contain higher fiber and lower gluten content. Tomatoes have been edited to grow better in warm climates. All of these uh, things that you may be saying, oh, well, that's great, but 
is this why why did they get the Nobel Prize? Why is this such an interesting discovery? Well, CRISPR isn't really just about keeping our apples from browning and our potatoes from bruising. It does also have the potential to protect billions of dollars of crops, really, and save the lives of millions of the world's poorest people. Um, let's start with talking about how it can protect these billions of dollars worth of crops. In Africa and South Asia, temperatures are rising, as they are all around the world, but particularly there, grounds are also drying and populations are expanding there. Using gene-edited systems to create more resilient, faster-growing varieties of rice and other crops that need less water could be a lifesaver on a massive scale. If they can find the genes that would be conducive for letting rice uh, become more resilient and grow faster with less water, it can now kind of get a head start on adapting to this changing climate that we are rapidly changing through human-induced uh, climate change. The Gates Foundation is working to create genetically modified super cows, what they call them, that can withstand very hot temperatures while producing much more milk than traditional cows. Scientists are also working on hypoallergenic chicken eggs. A lot of people are allergic to eggs, but these would be eggs that do not cause allergic reactions. So um, making these products more accessible for all. Finally, researchers are using CRISPR to genetically engineer virus-resistant and faster-growing pigs and parasite-resistant cattle. So just kind of indirectly helping human survival in a way and just um, making some of the farming processes just a little bit smoother and uh, a lot easier, saving a lot of money and things like this. Still, though, you may be skeptical because these are advances that do only seem to indirectly help human survival. What about directly editing humans though, and directly editing our own genes? Well, this is another great impact. CRISPR seems to have the possibility of having CRISPR as gene editing, um, gene therapy, excuse me, in humans. What is gene therapy? Gene therapy, really what it's doing, rather than treating genetic diseases with surgery or drugs, gene therapies use genes to treat disease by cutting out or turning off mutated genes, so turning off unhealthy genes or silencing them like you saw in the previous example, and replacing these unhealthy genes with a healthy copy of the same gene. So rather than drugs, rather than surgery to do certain things, it simply is editing your own genetic code. As a gene therapy, CRISPR has been used to genetically enhance the ability of T-cells in cancer patients already. T-cells are white blood cells that are essential for the body's immune response. So bloods, what they do is blood cells are extracted from the body of the cancer patient, and then these cells are engineered outside of the body to boost the ability of their T-cells. They're editing the genetic code of of these blood cells, and then they're put back into the body of the cancer patient. This essentially gives the newly edited cells in the body of the cancer patient cancer-fighting superpowers almost, which is incredibly interesting in the um, efficacy of, of treating cancer. And as soon as you start to find any solution at all for coming to a solution for cancer, and we'll never come to a complete solution, but helping the process, you are. Go this is going to be considered as 
a world-changing discovery. So let's go through some of the year-by-year breakthroughs using CRISPR and gene therapy and how we kind of got to today and how it's directly able to have its influence on changing human genomes. In 2013, researchers in the Netherlands used CRISPR on human stem cells to repair a deficit that contributes to the appearance of cystic fibrosis, for instance. The next year, in 2014, scientists used CRISPR to collect excuse me, correct liver cells in mice that modeled the human disease tyrosinema. So by model in mice, obviously they can't harbor a human disease, but this human disease can be modeled in mice and um, using mice as a (laughs) a lab rat or as a a subject, scientists were able to correct the cells that were expressing this disease. The next year in 2015, scientists deployed CRISPR to edit genes that contributed to blood disorders. Next year, 2016, scientists used CRISPR to extract HIV from DNA and prevent reinfection. And we know now all too well that that CRISPR can make humans resistant to HIV possibly. But the reason the gene editing on humans was condemned was because, first of all, these were uh, viable embryos that the Chinese scientists edited. So, um, and we don't know the downstream causes of going in and removing certain portions of DNA just to make a human resistant to HIV. There are so many polygenic interactions, interactions between multiple genes that may not have been accounted for when the scientists did that. So this is why that was condemned. but what at least he did show is that, yes, it does have the capability to make humans resistant to HIV. In 2017, in the next year after that, researchers first used CRISPR on a human embryo successfully to correct a gene that causes cardiomyopathy. Cardiomyopathy is the disease of the heart that makes it harder for your, it to pump blood to the rest of your body. In 2018, scientists showed how a new CRISPR gene editing technique could potentially correct most of the 3,000 mutations causing Duchenne muscular dystrophy as well. And then the last one in 2019, just last year, researchers showed how CRISPR could be used to con- correct the genetic mutation causing sickle cell disease. So all of these advances, again, they're not the same thing that the Chinese researchers did when he um, edited the viable human embryos uh, that were going to be living humans. These are just in like in vitro and test tubes in the lab or in the mouse model, for instance. But either way, they're still... Um, combat they're combating all of these human conditions in these other models but they're yet to be applied but more than anything it's just we're seeing the potential right now but we're yet to actually implement these fully in humans how else then can CRISPR be used to help humans um, even though we have not actually executed this yet what are some of the breakthroughs that we're seeing well we're seeing how it can help with animal organ transplants to humans why would we want to use an animal's organ for a human? Well, the prospects for getting more humans to donate their organs are still very poor in many parts of the world. Humans just don't want to donate their own organs to help others so people can be on the waiting list, especially in the United States who have a great problem with this. 
They can be on the waiting list for years. Um, because of this, scientists have tried to explore how CRISPR can be used to make animal to human organ transplants more feasible. Um, now you might ask, why isn't it feasible already? What's the main difference? Uh, well, maybe you didn't <laughs> quite ask what's the main difference between animal organs and, hu and human ones. But, um, well, well, let's see here. So there is a prospect of using pig organs in humans, but there are logistic issues with this. Pigs carry the porcine endogenous retrovirus. This virus can be extremely dangerous and even deadly to humans, particularly those whose immune systems are already suppressed by drugs. So these unhealthy people who have who are immunosuppressed by taking drugs, and these are obviously not the healthiest people that need a new organ, they're not going to be able to handle this type of virus. Harvard scientists, though, have tried to tackle this issue of getting rid of this virus in the pig uh uh, in the in pig organs. So Harvard scientists have now, using CRISPR, rendered the virus inactive. Clinical trials for transplanting gene-edited pig kidneys and pancreases to humans are likely to begin soon, potentially saving thousands of human lives per year. I did forget to mention at the start of this episode, most of this information is coming from Jamie Metzl, Hacking Darwin, uh, the Future of Genetic Engineering, I believe it's called, 2019. So a lot of this information is quite up to date, but there is a just about a full year of research that we're not going to be able to talk about uh, here. The most recent update in this episode you've heard is the 2020 Nobel Prize winning by Charpentier and Doudna. Um, but these clinical trials, so as of 2019, they were just about to get underway. So... But this really does have the potential to save thousands of human lives if we can figure out how to render the um, the the animal organs harmless before we we can put them into humans. If we can use that, then we don't need people to be waiting on the organ transplant list for other humans uh, to be so generous to donate their own organs. So now you're, we're kind of realizing that hmm, there are a lot of steps we have to, hurdles we have to climb over before we can really start implementing these this technology in humans. And let's talk about some more of these concerns that we have with CRISPR. The largest concern about the first generation of CRISPR was its potential to cut the genome in places other than where scientists intended. So I know I mentioned that Downa and Charpentier made the breakthrough to to get CRISPR to cut in specific locations of the DNA and pull out mutated genes and insert new ones. But there was a concern originally that it also could make cuts in the genome and, and kind of go crazy on its own in places that scientists did not want cuts to happen. So it may go downstream and cut other parts of the DNA just because of its nature of doing that. And we may not have full control over the system yet. So let's watch out before we implement this in humans. A CRISPR-induced mutation caused by a cut in the wrong place could have the potential to become cancerous. This is how cancer happens. Um, cancer happens through these mutations of cells. So when if cuts are happening randomly throughout the DNA and mutations start to occur, that is how you develop cancer. This is why regulators around the world have been cautious about authorizing the gene editing of humans. 
they're they're justified in their concern of just quickly introducing this. And again, this makes you realize why the Chinese researcher, who I'm sorry I have not mentioned by name yet, um, and I'm not even going to bother searching it up uh, now, but this is why the Chinese researcher has been condemned because there are so many issues that we have yet to fix. 2015 CRISPR research on non-viable human embryos also reported abysmal accuracy levels. Of the 86 fertilized eggs injected with the CRISPR system designed to edit their genomes, only a few contained the desired genetic change. So look at the low percentage of uh, this system actually working that that this research study found. This ratio of attempts to successes is acceptable perhaps in plants, worms, uh, flies, mice, rats, where the cost of mistakes is a lot lower, but this would be unthinkable for humans. Continuing with this line of, of uh, skepticism against CRISPR technologies in humans, a 2018 study found that a single human gene, P53, blocked CRISPR edits in some human cells as part of the body's natural defense mechanism against dangerous mutations like cancer. We are adapted to have uh, natural defenses against cancer, and particularly the P53 gene. And this, this um, kind of sees mutations happen and then it basically wipes them out to prevent cancers from forming. So this P53 gene also um, is able to block CRISPR edits too because it looks at CRISPR as, as a foreign kind of thing that's mutating the DNA. So it blocks those edits just as a part of the body's natural defense mechanism against dangerous mutations like cancer. One way around this, uh, one way around kind of uh, how P53 blocks CRISPR edits is to deactivate the P53 gene, then go in with CRISPR and let CRISPR do its thing. But then we'd have increased cancer risk because this would remove our body's natural system that hunts down mutations in, in the genome and, and snuffs them out. So there are really some kind of concerns with this that we've yet to resolve. There are also ethical concerns in a similar way that there are um, concerns about how could how it could impact human health. We have the ability to choose skin color with CRISPR already. So in 2018, eight genes that significantly influence a person's skin pigmentation were identified by University of Pennsylvania researchers. It may be possible in the future to genetically, uh, well, I guess, I guess I spoke a little bit too hastily about that. We don't have the ability now, but in theory we do. But in the future, it may be possible to genetically edit the skin color of pre-implanted embryos or even perform gene therapy on adults to change their skin color during their lifetimes. And the, the what is the issue with being able to change skin color? Well, you may already be able to to spot it. There are social implications and then there are biological risks too. There are just so many issues with this. Imagine, for instance, if this was available, if this technology was available during Hitler's rule in Nazi Germany, what would they have done to um, create their perfect Aryan race or to mold uh, their society? Also, biologically, Skin color is a natural, again, what your body has is a natural adaptation to environments your population has lived in over time. So people with darker skin, this is because 
um, historically, their populations lived in warmer climates with more sun, where they actually had to block and reject uh, more of the sun's rays with increased melanin so as to protect them from harmful rays. Humans that lived up north historically in colder climates needed lighter skin so they would be able to absorb more sun to gain the vitamins and vitamin D because it was not a risk if they absorbed too much up there. So these are natural adaptations that we have. And if we're able to just manipulate this using CRISPR, it could uh, have serious implications and not only not be conducive to good health, but they actually might cause an early death. So we have to be careful with these types of discoveries that do introduce really great things and great prospects of gene therapies and saving all this money and saving humans even. But then you also, it's a two-sided coin, just like a lot of things in this world. And um, there are some ethical issues with this that have also slowed down, not really the scientific progress into it, but the implementation of the technology. This implementation of the technology, um, let's also talk about other reasons why it's so difficult to implement just, just today. After me talking about all of these discoveries we've made, why can't we just use it today? Well, the issue is that uh, complex traits like height, intelligence, and personality are most often determined not by one gene that CRISPR is great at going in, taking out, and putting in a new one, but by complex interactions of hundreds or even thousands of genes. Most genetic diseases as well are influenced by multiple genes so, and interactions between these multiple genes too. The more genes that influence a particular trait, the more difficult it becomes to fully understand the correlation between genetic patterns and how traits are expressed. So it becomes very difficult to implement a CRISPR system when we don't even fully understand our own genetic code. So if we don't fully understand what we're working on, how are we going to implement a technology to work on that still quite mysterious code is, is really why it's so difficult to implement today. Um, but that really leaves us only now with the future of where we can go with this. And although it is difficult to implement now, what is the future of genetic engineering? Well, the science already exists, for instance, to place a fluorescent protein from jellyfish into humans that can make a person glow under UV light. And there are many uh, weird things like this that we could talk about and go on forever about how interesting and futuristic these things already are. Um, but let's talk about things that are more uh, perhaps usable for us. So if scientists find a single gene or two that make naked mole rats completely resistant to cancer, for instance, CRISPR could allow us to insert versions of these genes into humans. So really what we're just waiting on is discoveries that of of what we're really trying to do is take desirable traits from other species, see the genes that create those desirable traits in those other species, and then grabbing those genes and inserting it into us and modifying us so that we can maybe be resistant to cancer in the future and we can have this and that. And no, we're not going to be able to fly all of a sudden or things like this, but there are some things that we can do. And hopefully there are desirable traits that we can pick out in other species and bring them into humans. Um, now, again, though, this is just with one or two genes, though. Integrating larger groups of genes that 
For instance, give dogs special hearing abilities, eagles amazing vision, or dolphins sonar, they would be a lot harder to uh, and more complicated to implement anytime soon. We just don't have enough of an understanding of how genes work together to be able to grab all those different sections of their genome and then all of a sudden give us sonar, give us better hearing. And we're a long way away from that. But what we do have already is we have the system to make these edits. And now we just need to discover uh, how we can take more traits from other species and and insert them into humans to um, to enhance our lives. And I think that that warrants a Nobel Prize. And <laughs> I mean, it's not up to me. I mean, they already won it, but it does. I, I believe it warrants that. And it certainly warrants an episode. Anything in science that pops up, um, we're probably going to end up talking about it on this podcast, any major breakthrough. So stay tuned for that. A quote from Metzl, the author of the further reading that I'll include in the description, uh, Genetic Engineering and the Future of Humanity. He says, though still in the early stages, the fact that we can now engineer our own biology will, over time, blur our sense of where science fiction ends and where science begins. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. If you liked this episode, um, just know we are growing our community through word of mouth and through sharing it with others. So if you like this episode, please let a couple of your friends know about it. Share it with others um, who uh, are interested in science, have a particular interest in CRISPR gene editing, um, or if they enjoy in-depth analysis. Please subscribe as well on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, leave a starting or a review on Apple Podcasts and a like on YouTube if you are watching this video. Please also share your ideas on the YouTube comments section on the website, insightfulthinkersmedia.com, on Twitter at TeamITM or Instagram at insightfulthinkersmedia. You can also check out the poems and the blog articles that are on the website. And if you want to join our monthly ITP video conference call where we come together every month to analyze topics together, you can support the podcast on Patreon. Whatever you guys do to support, listening and watching is always plenty. Another episode in, another Monday. Every Monday we're here. And as I said from the start, we're not stopping anytime soon. Also, congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers um, championship, number four for LeBron James. Um, <laughs> just when I said we're not stopping anytime soon, it, it reminded me LeBron said he's not stopping anytime soon, even though he is... Um, 35 and uh his career is coming to an end but congrats to them they just won that thing last night so still feeling a high off of that victory and uh, a high every monday coming coming in to record thank you guys for listening and for tuning into the insightful thinkers podcast everybody we'll be back next monday you guessed it as always for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics take care everybody